Welcome to the Young Money Podcast with Ross Moran. This episode of the Young Money Podcast is brought to you by More Time Financial, a financial planning, money management, and financial education business helping young Australians to make smarter decisions with their money. Welcome to episode 21 of the Young Money Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Moran, and on today's episode, we're talking about the great Australian dream of owning your own home. I have with me a guest on today's episode, and my guest is Kinto White from Q Financial. We've taken a bit of a different approach on today's episode, and rather than an interview about Kinto and his business, we have an open discussion about the great Australian dream dealing with debt and what it means to own your own home. I hope you enjoy the episode. Kinto, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for having me. So if you want to start things off on who you are, what you do, and how you help people. Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, Kinto, why is my name? I uh, run a company called Q Financial, which is based locally on the Gold Coast. I've uh, been established for a little bit over three years now, so still uh, relatively new to the industry, but... Um, built uh, a reasonably solid sort of um, client base on the southern Gold Coast. Um, our focus is predominantly helping first home buyers into the property market, uh, but we also have a sort of a pretty wide range of um, solu- finance solutions covering off, uh, you know, whether it's refinancing home loans or helping people upgrade their family home or um, personal loans, car loans, business loans. And, you know, we do a lot of different types of finance, but uh, most of it is, is residential home loans. Excellent. So on today's episode, I'm pretty excited to have you on and want to talk about the great Australian dream. So that notion that every Australian should own their own home, that what we kind of see is if you don't own your own home, you're not successful. Or there's that pressure to every young Australian needs to buy a house, own their yeah. own home ASAP. So that's what I really wanted to cover on today. And obviously you're in a prime position to see that firsthand being that you're a finance mortgage broker and especially deal with people in their first homes. So what's your, what's your opinion on the great Australian dream? Yeah, it's a big one. The great Australian dream, isn't it? The, the actual origin of the great Australian dream dates back to the reconstruction following World War II. Uh, so that's that's back, in, well, it kicked off back in the 50s and 60s when uh, Australian manufacturing was thriving and unemployment rates were um, at an all-time low, which then basically resulted in the baby boomers and then the great Australian dream was born. So what, um, you reckon that came from the government saying, get out there, own your own home, or what, what do you reckon kind of started that? Well, uh, well, good question. I'm not sure whether or not it, it was a push from the government or it was, um, you know, a push from the people when, you know, when you've got low unemployment, obviously, um, you know, economy's doing well, people have got money to, to burn as such, and when they're having a lot of kids, then here comes the importance of, um, of owning a home or having a yard or looking after the family yeah. and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm not 100% sure whether we exactly where the push came from, but no, the fact that Australia was in a good position to become homeowners, yeah. it, you know, it, yeah, it just fueled it and um, it sort of went from there. And do you, do you think you, you're under that same kind of 
pressure when when you started working and earning money did you have that kind of mentality that you had to earn your own home like personally yeah i did i think it's kind of like it's the norm yeah you know people like to do or people seem to follow other people you know everybody's doing it then people do it you know and it's the whole um uh you know or fear of missing out or you know um they can see that it's made other people happy so they think it'll make them happy you know it's kind of just these days it's almost it's just a given Mm. you know it's just an expectation yeah for people isn't it yeah 100 percent. yeah i mean i get it because you know for many having the feeling of having an asset that's increasing in value um often leads to a more sort of content lifestyle i guess um feeling like you've got a bit of a backup plan yeah. and such you know because I think it's just it's just one of those things where like you, you'd see it I see it I think everyone does that social media pushing it the government mm-hmm. pushing it get in property markets going up if you don't get in now you're going to miss out Like, and obviously we know property prices historically have increased over time but it's just there's just so much it's like like with the no no deposit home loans uh, buy this now buy a new lot like go to Coomera buy a new place like there's just so much out there and it's so easy to like for people to think that like well if I, if I don't buy now what am I going to do like yeah. oh, I might miss out like I have those conversations every week people come in so I need to buy a house and so like, well, why it's like well if I don't I'll, I'll miss out I'll miss out it's like yes no maybe like there's 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 truth to that there's a bit of a grey area but I think for me the biggest thing that I see and what bugs me is that people especially young people thinking that they're not successful if they don't own a home have you got any any opinions on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's a shame for people to have that mindset. At the same time, I think, like you said, it's getting pushed. It's on mm. social media. It's on news. It's everywhere, uh, and it's they're all they're also saying you know property prices are going up. Owning your own home has never been harder. It's only going to get harder. So all of these things combined is just putting more and more pressure on people yeah. um, to get into the property market. But I think at the end of the day, people are always going to be able to get into property. Um, you know, there's always going to be different different ways of getting into the property or different government initiatives and subsidies and whatnot. And, you know, property prices go up, you know, so, so does income. Obviously not quite as, as fast, unfortunately, but, um, you know, there's always going to be a way into property and if people are smart, they'll be able to get in, in there basically and um but with the whole with the whole uh you know people thinking they're not successful um i think that just comes back to what we were saying before about um the norm and Mm. you know everybody's doing it really and fear of missing out and and that kind of thing like people people see other people do it and they're happy yeah they don't want to miss out on that so you know i think that's the the, where, where it sort of stems from um but I mean, on the flip side, I actually know somebody, quite a wealthy um, property investor, who rents. Yeah. Like, yeah, he owns lots of properties. Yeah. He's killing it. And he, he's got a rental property. So, you know, I, I don't know, it's just a different way of thinking, I suppose. Because, yeah. he, yeah, he rents, but renting a home um, is actually cheaper than owning a home. So all of the properties he owns, they're all just part of his wealth strategy. Um, so it's just a totally different way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, and I think the more people start to try to 
um, you know, think of think of what's going to be more suitable to them mm. and not just what everybody else is doing. Yeah. The more they'll hopefully become more comfortable with what they're doing. Well, I think it's like there's a template. So the template is you save up, have a deposit, you buy a home, mm. you settle down, have kids. Like that. That's kind of the Australian template. Like it doesn't ha- you don't have to do that. Like that's just an option for some people. That is the best thing that could ever happen to them. They're the most happy people in the world. And fine, do that. That's great if that's what you want. But you don't have to. And I think that's that's the challenge where you're saying it, you don't have to buy a house. It's okay to rent. Like if it suits you, if you're happy, great, do that. Like that's the bit that annoys me. Is saying well, everyone, well, you're not successful unless you buy a home. It's like, well, no, I'm successful because I'm doing what I want to do, not what. Just because it's different to 90% of the population doesn't make it. Success, success should be measured by one's happiness and their um, memories, yeah. I think. Um, you know, people, some people don't buy a home and don't even have a family and they do travel the world for like half their life yeah. and to all their life, you know, um, and sounds like a great life. I'm sure, and I'm sure they have, you know, plenty of fun and feel... Like they've had a successful life, mm. um, and that's just that's obviously way outside of the norm. Yeah. But um, it just, um, yeah, like you say, it is a bit of a sort of template, I suppose. Yeah. Um, that people just think that's what they need to do. Mm. Definitely, I think the the, the beauty of, of this podcast and what I've been trying to get through and across most episodes is just trying to open people's eyes up to a different way of thinking. Just to say, well here's an option but it doesn't have to be the only option like yeah. in other countries it's not expected the owner home like in, in Asian cultures like you, you live with your family everyone lives under one roof like that's just how they do it in other countries you just rent it's not like owning a home is just so far at the other end of the, the norm that it's just people just don't do it so, yeah it's unachievable and they just accept that and yeah, like, and, mm, yeah and yeah and I think we just need to be aware that there's different ways of doing things and yeah, absolutely. Buying a home, there's nothing wrong with buying a home. It's a great option. If you can afford it, great, do it. But but if you can't or you don't, you know, don't don't feel upset. Yeah. Just, you know, enjoy other other ventures or yeah. opportunities that you, that life um, brings forward and, and move on, I suppose. Definitely. <clears throat> so that probably leads nicely into the next next segment where consumer debt and young Australians. You would... You would see it. I see it on a weekly basis. The people we talk to, our clients we deal with, it's at an all-time high. Like you, you read the news each each week, and there's stats about how much consumer debt, how much credit cards are circulating um, around Australia, how long it'll take, how long it would take to pay it all off, and what is your opinion on on consumer debt? And probably just to clarify, when we talk about consumer debt, we're talking about credit cards, personal loans, payday loans something that's probably unsecured so not a not a mortgage or an investment property loan yeah like you said i see heaps of it as well obviously uh, crap loads of it and um unfortunately it, it uh, creates quite a um a hurdle or a roadblock for people uh, not only to live their lifestyles but also if if, if somebody does want to purchase a property um you know a lot of first home buyers come to me and they've got They've got a car loan, they've got two credit cards and a personal loan, but they really want to get into a property. And unfortunately, their income isn't nearly big enough to sustain home ownership and all of these debts. Therefore, you know, it's not going to happen. And, and for some of them, it, it, it might take them another four or five years to get rid of this consumer debt if they 
if they're focused, yeah. to then put them in a position to get into that property they want. So the um, you know the, the effects or the long term effects it can have on people is massive, and I think um, yeah, I think it's definitely something that needs to be looked at very closely, and um, for, probably from uh, both sides of the table. Not the consumers, obviously, they're the ones that are making the decisions, but then you know if possibly if there's some further regulations. Um, you know, from from uh, the government or ASIC or, or what have you, on consumer debt, um, I think that would probably help out quite a bit as well. Because at the moment, um, it's in their face; it's in everyone's face. They, they've the advertisements, yep. the payday lenders ad- advertisements that you see, the you know the emails people get. It's just it's so easy to access unsecured debt. Well, I woke I woke up the other morning. It was seven a.m. on a Saturday morning. I had a text message. From a payday lender, I te- I have no idea how I got on their list. But yeah, obviously, right. I did something on Facebook or clicked a button somewhere. Payday loan, whatever, no repayments for fourteen days. Can have a thousand dollars transferred in your bank account twenty four hours. It's like yeah. Saturday morning, seven a.m. So as you said, like it's just in face. It's and every- timing. What what if you know you weren't obviously as financially. Um, uh, smart as you were and you were say an average or a, a, a younger punter who just happened to be um, looking at a, a holiday advertisement yeah. the day before and really wanted to go to Bali yeah. and this just popped up and you've just gone oh you beauty yeah. press and there, there you go done. like it's that it's done it's done it's that easy uh, it just as you said like it being in our face it's social media it's the news it's the advertising and I think it's that comparison as well. So, well, maybe I haven't got enough money saved, but your friend goes, oh, hey, we're going to Bali in two weeks. You want to come? It's like, oh, shit, I haven't really got the money. Or, wait a minute, just so happens an ad pops up through Facebook or Pixeline or however it, however it gets onto your, your site. And as you said, borrow this money, take out a credit card, use Afterpay to book your flights. Done. Sweet. Call your mate and come in. No worries. Paid for. It's too easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and, that, and I mean, if doing something like that once every now and then, mm. if you've got the means to pay it back, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's fine. But often, I think the problem is people do something like that, and then in the next couple of months, you know, it kind of gets forgotten about, and it just they make their minimum payments and they don't pay it off fast, and and then you know something else comes up yeah. before that one's out the door yet and then they might jump into another one and, and it can it can easily snowball yeah. uh, to the point where all of a sudden you know their their repayments on four different things is consuming most of their um, cash flow and you know it's, it's it's hurting basically it hurts well I put out a video about Afterpay and had a bit of backlash about it with people saying well why why do you think Afterpay is so bad you can only borrow the thousand dollars or two thousand dollars at a time like the limit and like it's I bought a dress it was 20 bucks like why do you have to pay it's $20 who cares and I was like it's not the fact of how much you're borrowing it's how you buy it's the fact that you're borrowing the money so even though it's that little amount it's that little amount every single time that it's just easier it gets easier and easier so if you go your whole life without borrowing any money not having a credit card and then one day you go oh, I just need that dress because I just need an extra money before payday and you take out that payday uh, take out after pay it's $20 $40 and next time, it's like, oh, I just need a little bit extra money. 
oh, credit card. Take out the credit card. Need a bit extra more personal loan. And it's just, it just had snowballs and just mm. builds and builds. And he just creates that bad habit of, I don't need the money to be able to enjoy this purchase or enjoy this holiday. But then when you get back, then you're forced to go back to work because you have to pay for it. And it just, it creates that bad, that bad habit. Mm, bad habit, bad mindset, isn't yeah. it, to get into yeah. that then, yeah, yeah. And habits are hard to get out of. Well, I see it as like, like, it's like a gateway drug. Afterpay is a gateway drug to death. Because <laughs> everyone just starts off and yeah. it's small and yeah. everyone's, I mean, we're not just picking on afterpay, like there's obviously, the, that's probably the most common one, the zip pay yeah. and, and all the other ones. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just the gateway drug to, to, to larger consumer debt, I think, is probably, probably a good yeah. way to put it. What do you see from, from the bank's perspective and, and why do they hate consumer debt, payday loans, this so much? Like from, from someone wanting to buy their first home, what do you see the issue there? Uh, well, there's two different aspects, I suppose. There's One is just simply the repayments you're making on, on different debts, obviously, and the effect it has on your cash flow. Therefore, it's lowering your borrowing capacity um, to borrow for a home. So that's, that's that effect and that's probably the more obvious one. Uh, but then the second one is, uh, and especially things like payday lenders, um, and the ones that actually have a negative impact on your credit file. And that's, they're the ones that most people probably aren't really aware of or don't understand how it works. And um, how your credit file works is, say, they've, they've got some crazy you know, um, calculations in the background that I'm not totally familiar with. But, for instance, say... On average, people take out some type of credit twice a year, and yep. that's considered to be normal. And then if you've got somebody that jumps in in three months and they go to two payday lenders, a zip money and an afterpay, and there's four hits in three months, that is then not considered normal. It's considered sporadic, yep. uh, and there's obviously a bit of a problem there of ma- money management. Therefore, your credit file start, or your credit score is dropping and banks see the instability in that, uh, and then their take on you then is is um, not too crash hot. So obviously they're going to uh, be very careful around lending um, for a home loan in that yeah. situation. Definitely. Mm. The income to debt ratios or, or that that might start be coming into play. You probably know more about it than I do at the moment. But I was reading some some articles the other day about they're going to start applying. The, the debt to your serviceability and obviously everyone's expenses are going to be higher and lower but do you think that's going to have a big impact on, on how banks kind of see it moving forward and their ability to, to loan, loan money? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It's, the income to debt ratio is actually a really old thing. It used to be. Yeah. It, it used to be a really big part of assessment and they just threw it out the door and they totally changed the way they were looking at it and some of the smaller... Uh, for for some of the unsecured lending and the, the personal loans and stuff like that, they still use it, yeah. and it's a really big factor. It's you know it makes or breaks an application. But yeah, the fact that they're bringing that back in um, in the residential lending side of things, I think it is going to have quite a big um, impact. Yeah, and the the thing that probably adds adds to all this, where we the access to consumer debts extremely high yeah and we can we can get it easily easily access it property prices have just you'd say across the board have gone through the roof probably plateauing now across major cities but that's not a property expert but that's generally what we've seen yeah sure 
interest rates are at an all-time low. Mm -hmm. What do you see, in your opinion, if interest rates start to increase? Like, what do you think will happen, which is what they're potentially predicting over the next number of years that 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 will have to happen? Do you think that's going to cause a major problem? Do you think people are prepared for it? My clients are prepared for it. Yep. I know that. That's good. Um, I mean... I'm a bit of an optimist here yeah. as well. Um, and knowing what goes on behind the scenes when preparing a home loan application, um, there's all sorts of buffers in place. Uh, for instance, when we're, when we're calculating someone's borrowing capacity, we do that on, on a bank's calculator. And they, they actually say, okay, your interest rate's going to be 4%, but they're actually assessing it at 7 or 7.5%. So they've got that few percent buffer in there as well Um, and then um, I can't speak for all brokers but I like to think they're all doing this in some form or another I've also got my my own serviceability calculator if you will which is a sort of budget tool which shows the surplus of their real life cash flow Uh, and uh, we so we also basically put buffers in place there and show them what will happen if interest rates go up and that kind of thing so so with all all of the buffers that are in place yeah um, I like to think that there is quite a bit of leeway and it would probably take a crazy interest rate hike yeah. to really do a lot of damage um, for people that are going in, especially for people that have been getting new home loans over the past few years. I yeah. think they should be pretty safe for a while. Um, I think the, the bigger concern is lots of people that went on to interest-only loans five mm-hmm. years ago. Um, that they're all now going to be flipping back over to principal and interest and on a 25-year loan term and it's they're making it a lot harder for them to do anything with those loans in regards to refinancing or, or reannualising. So you're going to have a lot of people, yeah, sort of let's say five to ten years ago that got home loans and went interest only. So if you just maybe break that down a little bit just to explain interest only, interest only loans? Yeah... So a lot of people um, used to put their home loans on interest only as a way of uh, increasing their cash flow. Yep. Uh, what happens when you have an interest only loan is it, you still get a loan of it on a 30 year term, but it goes on a five year, or most of the time, a five year interest only period. So while you're only paying interest on the home loan, you're not paying any principal down, which then means your repayments are much, much smaller. So if you imagine, you pay five years of interest only, and then the rest of your loan term is now 25 years, but you've still got to pay that whole amount out in the 25 years. So once it goes back to principal and interest, their repayments are much higher than what they would have been in the first place. So as we see people coming off interest only, and with in today's market, it's a lot harder for people to go interest only again, so most of them aren't going to be able to do it or a lot of them won't be able to do it, they're all going to be forced back into principal and interest. Their payments are going to go up by hundreds and hundreds, in some cases, you know, $1,000. And it's going to put massive, massive stress on people and families and investors and and everyone in that sort of situation on the cash flow. And what probably adds to that as well, that over the last five years, if, if you've been on interest only for five years, you've probably got comfortable 
yeah. making those repayments, the minimum repayments on interest only. Yeah. Your lifestyle inflation, like we talked about, is probably caught yeah. up. You maybe had some kids. You maybe you're one of your partners or your partner's taking some time off work. And it, that is where we, as you said, the big mm. risk is yeah. potentially going to come. And so I should just add to what I was saying before about interest only that unfortunately people were doing it as a means of extra cash flow, but that was never really the proper use of interest only. Yeah. People weren't really supposed to be doing it for that purpose. It's interest only, you know, there was also, I won't go into it, but there was sort of other strategies involved for getting an interest only loan. So the problem was it, because it wasn't regulated enough, people were taking advantage of it. Yeah. The wrong people were using it. So now they're the people that are going to end up in the strife. So probably some, some words of wisdom, which we can probably cover off later, but if you're on interest only, start putting some money away and yeah. be prepared for that that switch to principal and interest. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Something that we've we've probably alluded to throughout this already, but the importance of financial education, which is something that I'm extremely passionate about, one of the main reasons for starting the Young Money podcast, something I know you're passionate about as well. I think it's there's a huge disconnect between what people need to know and what they do know and the financial illiteracy in in Australia is I think in my opinion the cause of a lot of these the debt problems that we talked about or is one of the causes of the debt problems why do you think it's so important for the for people to be financially educated well it's such a big part of their lives for one finance is a massive part of living and um you know, sustaining or maintaining a lifestyle, and you know, in many different aspects. So, I mean, it probably goes without saying that it's that it's important and super important. Um, I think there's probably a bit of a problem with. I mean, you know how this in this day and age you can research anything. Yep. It's it's all at your fingertips, yep. as they say. The problem with that is a lot of a lot of things people read is often outdated or incorrect, simply written badly, or, you know, you, you can read anything, but that's the problem, you can read anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's good and it's bad. Yeah. And it, um, you know, it's, yeah, I suppose financial literacy and, and education is something that I'm really passionate about. And um, uh there's Barbecue Bob, which I've spoken to you about in the past. Um, just as an example for the listeners, the um, Barbecue Bob is a character, is a make-believe character that I use in a first-time buyer presentation. And the the purpose of Barbecue Bob is to explain you get you get people out there that love to give lots of advice and they think they're they're like kind of know-it-alls and you know they're always happy to tell you their stories or give you their little two cents and. Um, quite often what they're saying isn't right or, or or they're not telling the whole story and they can very easily lead people in the wrong direction. And um, so there's that one. And then just over the past week, I'm, I'm a member of, you know, quite a few different sort of Facebook groups and stuff as well. And I've just recently been getting tagged in lots of, you know how people get on Facebook and they go, please recommend mortgage broker yeah. or, or, yeah. or whatever. Um, I've been getting tagged in lots of things and... When I read through the comments that some of the people are putting there, I was horrified. Like, 
really horrified at yeah. some of the not e- not even this isn't even my opinion this is just black and white terrible advice people are giving and it's just a, yeah so well it's just just misinformation like yeah it's the problem is a lot of it's opinionated yeah or, or if somebody's had a bad experience and they're, then they're, sh- they're passing on their opinion because of the bad experience which has got nothing to do with this other person's situation yeah. and it and it can then push somebody in, in the wrong direction. And, you know, early on in the stages of whether you're buying a home or, or planning for the future and saving or whatever the case, it, it, they're all sort of big decisions. And if you get pushed in the wrong direction early on in the piece, it can have such a huge impact on the outcome years yeah. down the track. Yeah. So having even the basics of, of, basic of knowledge mm. in the beginning is super important. Yeah. Well, I, I see it as we leave school, start our first job, we get taught about, I've said this a thousand times, we get taught about algebra, which is great because <laughs> I've used that heaps. Yeah. Um, we leave school, start a job, start earning all this money, and then it's like from 20 to 30, there's, you want to go traveling, you want to do all these things, which is great and highly encouraged. But we get that YOLO mentality and it's just, there's, there's a difference between you only live once and you only live once with credit card debt like people just go nuts from 20 to 30 and like I only live once I'm going to have a great time great do it they get to 30 and then they go oh shit I should have been better with my money and have all these regrets it's like well no if you do it that's fine but you can't then turn around at 30 and say I didn't know I didn't know and I think if you get educated about it before you leave school or before you leave university or to finish your trade or whatever you, you decide to do then you're making an informed decision going forward. And I think that's the issue that people are making an informed decision yeah. going forward. They're getting this credit card, they're getting personal notes, and it's not till they get to, to 30 or a little bit older and they want to start doing all these things, buying a home, having kids and, and everything else that comes with it. And then they look back and just go, oh, well, I've just shot myself in the foot or it's going to take me another five, six years to get out of this debt before I can even start moving forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so there's obviously a bit of a gap there where people finish school or uni or or what have you and it's the last thing they're thinking about yep. they're not thinking about the future future they're, they're yep. living in the here and now and um, um, yeah I suppose something needs to be done in order to get them thinking right early mm-hmm. on in the piece yeah um, well I'm, I'm quite fortunate I'm sure you are too that in a way we get to we get to see people that are older and we're trying to get them out of the mess. And then you try and tell someone younger, they're like, nah, that's just old people talk. I'm not listening to mum and dad. Like, what do they know? And Which is typical 20-year-old kind of speak. Um, but, like, I see people that are on the older spectrum and they had their 20s and 30s were great and they spent all this money and got themselves into a lot, a lot of debt. And then they're still, still paying for it when they're 50 and 60. And yeah. it's just 10 years of fun for 40, 50 years of, of hard work and slogging it out trying to get out of it yeah so yeah yeah it's a tough it makes it very hard yeah um yeah yeah that's right it's like a compounding effect isn't it because Mm. a few slip i mean a couple of little slip ups here and there and things that's life people do that but there's i I suppose depending on the extent of it it can be very hard to get back in front for most people um although on the flip side i think on the odd occasion, I do get quite impressed by some of the younger people um, on the Gold Coast, and yep. especially some of the self-employed 
younger people that are coming out making quite good incomes and yep. good decisions and stuff. So I think, um, you know, it's not all, you know, not all young people make oh, the same yeah. mistakes yeah. and there's definitely some out there that, that do like, really bloody well yeah. as well. So I think, you know, for all of the people out there that have a friend and they can see they're doing really well and making really smart decisions, it's probably time to, to go, hey, I might, um, you know, take a page out of their book and yep. sort of follow suit and, you know, have a think about it. Yeah, I think it's just getting getting that right right advice, that right information, right education. Um, and obviously it's what we're trying to start, what we're trying to start to do at the, the first homeowner nights. So I don't yeah. know if you want to explain what, what your thought process or what your drive was behind starting that. Yeah, sure. Um, I suppose the drive was was pretty much everything we've just spoken about. Um, uh, you know, it's all about just uh, financial education to put people in, in that better position so that they can make a good start yeah. and um, they can understand the process as well so that they know what they're in for um, when that when it does come time to, to make that big leap and, and purchase their own home. Uh, the, the actual first home buyer information night that we've put together, uh, it was a bit of a... I suppose a, a project or something that I've been working on for quite some time in the background, thinking about how because you do get a few different first home buyer information nights around on the coast and you know all over, all over the country, um, but looking at what else was on offer, um, which predominantly is first home buyer information nights where people are selling properties. Yeah. So they're selling home and land packages. So. The whole purpose of, of that information night is to sell a property. So people are kind of getting railroaded into, into one certain um, outcome. Yep. So looking at that being the main thing that was on offer for first home buyers, uh, I decided to take a totally different approach and put together uh, a few different experts in different fields um, to come together and collaborate uh, and, and put on an information night that is, is purely just education. Um, and, you know, we've all sort of got down, sat down and um, worked out what we think is going to be the best content to put people in the best position and made sure at, at, the, end of it, at the end of the day we weren't actually selling anything. So, yep. we, you know, going over what all the different options are to work out which option is going to be most suitable for any one individual's sort yep. of circumstances. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was all about the financial education and just seeing that there was such a big gap in what was on offer today to what I believe should be on offer. Definitely. Well, even like we, so for anyone listening, we, we ran our first first time information night two, two weeks ago now. Yeah, yeah, um, two weeks ago. And on the panel, we had, had myself covering off on the financial planning and, and planning for the future. Uh, we, had, we had Kinto talking about buying your first property and the do's and don'ts around there. Um, we, had, we had Boris who was uh, talking about property and, and where to buy, the difference between buying your first home and um, your dream home and your wants and needs around when it comes to actually buying a home. And then we had Joanne from Blackhurst Law talking about the, the legal side of buying a property and the conveying scene and, and all the, the things that you need to be aware of from the contractual side. And... I was I even learned a lot sitting there listening and I consider myself to be reasonably educated around finance um, and just some things that even Joanne was talking about from the, the legal side even a few things that you mentioned um, 
about different options of buying, yeah. I, I find myself learning a lot. So I think it's a great a great thing that you've put together and really happy to be a part of it. Yeah, so I think the more the more education the better. Yeah. And as you said, we're not we're not property spruikers, we're not selling investment properties, we're not selling home and land packages in Coomera. It's purely education based. Come, learn, listen, walk away and with the right information and point in the right direction. Absolutely, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So I'll put some I'll put some links into the description and, and share that out on social media about when the next one's running, if anyone is interested. Probably to round things out a bit, your your tips for, for people wanting to buy first, their first home, especially younger people, what have you got? Do's and don'ts of savings, what steps to take? Yeah, okay. Yeah, in regards to tips, I would say banks all have very different products and policies. So don't try and take them on all by yourself. Go to a trusted mortgage broker who knows the banks, knows their policies, knows them, their ins and outs and deals with them every day. Um, you know, that's, I, I suppose, the, where you need to make a start. A common misconception, I think, for, for many people, and especially the younger people, is that they think mortgage brokers charge them a fee, which I, I hear a lot, which yep. some do, but it's very rare. You, pretty much, like most of them don't. Uh, we don't charge a fee. The reason is we get paid by the banks, and we get paid by the banks because we're bringing them new um, customers. So it doesn't affect it doesn't affect your home loan or or you know your um, paycheck. So it's really important to know that it's essentially free advice. Then I would say get your pre approval in before you go shopping is really really important. I think I think that's a big one. I'll jump it, jump in there. I think it's something that I see a lot of people doing the the reverse. Yeah, they come to me and say, "Oh, I've just put a put an offer on a house. Do you know any good mortgage brokers?" It's like, well. You didn't want to do this before you put an offer in the house, like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no there's no point in um, putting an offer in on, on a property if you don't even know how much you can borrow. Yeah. You know, you don't even know if you can get the loan. You're just wasting your time. Mm-hmm. So get a pre-approval in, set your expectations, know where you stand, then go looking at, at what's on the market and what's going to be suitable. And just to jump in there, the the pre-approval that is the bank saying you're pre-approved, so we we've given you, we think you, you're allowed to borrow this amount of money. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. We we um, we choose the bank that we think is going to be right for you. We put the application in the bank. They run their assessments on your situation, so on your income, assets and liabilities. They then say, okay, we're happy to lend you this much. It's a pre-approval because it's not fully approved until the bank sees the property you're buying. The bank wants to then check the property, everything's okay with that property before it's a formal approval. Yeah. Yeah. And a pre-approval usually lasts anywhere between three and six months. Uh, so you do have, you know, six months is a, yeah. quite, quite a bit of time to go shopping and, and look for a property. Um, and, I mean, if, if you don't find one in that time, it hasn't, um, you know, you, the bank hasn't charged you anything anyway. You can then go and get another application in as well and continue continue to look. Um, I, I think the other one, the last tip is probably just, and especially for first home buyers, is don't feel like your first home should be a dream home. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Because it, it pretty much never is. Um, really, your first home for most of the population is a stepping stone. And it's something that you can enable you to get. I mean, you can still love it. 
just because it's not your dream home doesn't mean you won't love it. Yeah. You can still love it and feel really comfortable and happy there. Um, and then hopefully you'll gain some equity and each time you upgrade your home, um, hopefully you'll be able to slowly make your way to your dream home. And that's something that, I mean, when you think about it, what, what your dream home is today in 20 years' time is probably going to look totally different anyway. Definitely. So, you know, just having that expectation from the get-go is a bit silly. And I, I, most of you probably get that anyway, I would think. Um, yeah, uh, they're my tips. Um, what else was it? Some do's and don'ts? Yeah, do's and don'ts of, of saving saving for a deposit and when it comes to buying a home. Uh, saving for a deposit, simple. Spend less than you earn. Yeah. Just sim- simply put, that's all you have to do. Um, stick to a budget. They're boring. They're really boring, I know. Everyone thinks that. It's not just you. Uh, but they work. They get the job done. If you're serious about saving a deposit, you need a budget and that'll get you there. I think the the tips you gave the other night um, about take your rent, what you're currently spending, if you're, if you're renting, currently take what you're renting for, take what your estimated mortgage repayments may be. So if you're, you're renting for $400 a week, your estimated mortgage repayments might be five or $600 a week. Take that plus, I think you said $25 a week for utilities and extra homeowner costs. Yeah. And put that away. Yeah. So if you can start to do that, you can look and say, "Well, I'm comfortably saving what my mortgage may be." Exactly. So then you you can get that confidence up, confidence up to say, "Well, if I had a mortgage, I think I could service it." Yeah. And if you can't do that, then you're you need to do something different. Basically. Yeah, you need to reconsider. You need to reconsider. Like, if, either if you you're buying a that. cheaper property when you yeah. do buy, or you maybe you're just not ready to buy yet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's right. And that's, I mean, doing that is great for you but it's also great for the banks they want to they can then see that you have the ability to save that money even if you end up buying a home and say using mum and dad as a, as a guarantor and you don't actually need to have the deposit the fact that you've already saved the difference just then proves to the bank that you can save that difference and then they're now going to be comfortable to lend you for your first home yeah. so that's also really important as well definitely any final tips bits of bits of wisdom that you might want to leave the listeners with maybe just a little bit on the process um just so you got a little bit of an idea on, on the steps to take on you know what to do first and the, the flow of things yeah definitely i think um if you're looking to buy your first home um first thing you do is you speak to a trusted mortgage broker uh you make that plan you get your pre-approval as we said before uh step two is shopping for your home um, once you've found your property, step three, before you sign your contract, you need to engage with a conveyancer or a solicitor um, and have them review. Uh, once you've signed your contract and the home settles, uh, obviously you move in, that's the fun part, um, but it doesn't end there. Um, step five is then you've you got to then take a step back and plan for your future uh, moving forward and make sure you continue to make some smart decisions and um, I suppose that's where that's where you come in, Ross. Yep. That's your expertise. Um, so, um, yeah, they're, they're the steps I would recommend uh, getting into the property market. Excellent. Sounds great. Where can people find you? Um, plenty of different places. <laughs> uh, I suppose the best thing is simply uh, to Google um, Kinto White or Q Financial. 
and um, head to the website or, or just search me on Facebook. Yeah. Probably the, what most people would do, I'd say, is search, do a Facebook search, um, or click a link, and um, you know, in this day and age, it's pretty easy to find someone. Usually, you can yeah. find them on five or six different mediums and um, and get in touch quite easily. Definitely. And just a, anyone that's interested in coming along to the next first homeowner nights, what are the dates? When are we when are we running the, those, and where can we where can we find them? We can find them in where my office is, which is in Varsity Lakes on Varsity Parade, one nine four Varsity Parade. We've got a, a meeting room in there, which we hold the events um, in. Uh, the dates are the next one is on the twenty fifth of July at six pm. Uh, the following one is 5th of September and then again on the 10th of October, all, all at 6pm. Yeah. Um, so if you do want to come along to one of those events, you do need to just jump on the Facebook page or on Eventbrite and um, find the event and go through the steps to actually book a ticket because um, seats do go pretty quickly. Um, so if you want to make sure you've secured a seat, you need to get that ticket booked. Excellent. And I'll put some, some links to that that next event in the show notes below um, otherwise you can get in contact with myself or Kinto if you're looking at coming coming along and to get some valuable valuable information about buying your first home and, and what steps to take excellent well thanks for being on the Young Money Podcast Kinto thanks no Ross thanks for having me on here if you've enjoyed this episode of the Young Money Podcast make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest episodes and feel free to leave a like, comment and share it with a friend.